everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, you may notice uh, there's some guys doing some work way down the other side, so there may be a little bit of cart traffic going by, but I think they're going to be real quiet. So uh, you might want to be mindful of that when we leave. There might be a few things going on. But today, um, just really looking forward to the, our time here this morning. Uh, my name is Jeep Underwood, and we're, we're continuing a series uh, that we started a few weeks ago called Can You Hear Me Now? <clears throat> and we've been looking at the metaphor of a, of a cell phone, like drop calls. And, you know, how frustrating it is when you have something to share with someone, you're talking to them, and it really, it makes, you really need them to know this, and then you drop, the call drops. And <clears throat> it's just, it's just very frustrating because they weren't able, you weren't able to communicate with them. And then on the other side, there's really, it prevents you from hearing the things you really need to know. I don't know, have you guys ever been in a situation where someone's trying to get a hold of you to tell you don't take that freeway because there's a wreck? That's happened to me. And then you get a drop call, you don't get it, and you're like, you're stuck, and there's nothing you can do about it. It really, it, uh, it really prevents you from hearing the things you need to know about. Now, um, with, uh, with God, it's really important that we really connect and we really hear the things he has to share with us. And he really is communicating with us, and we want to make sure that we don't have drop calls. We want to make sure that we're really in a place and, a, and we're uh, our lives in such a way where we can really hear the things that he has to share with us because we really need to hear from him uh, to really have the life that he wants for us, to really have the, the relationship with him that he really desires. We really need to hear from him. And so in a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a parable that Jesus uh, uh, shared that kind of gives some insight on how to hear God and how to hear God much better and get past some barriers. And we looked at the parable of the soils. And uh, the four soils are just four different responses that people have when they hear the word of God. And last week, we, we, we started zoning in on the third soil. The third soil is, is just where Jesus said that there's thorns and weeds that grow up in our lives that kind of crowd out the word of God. We hear it, but it crowds it out and it becomes unfruitful for us. And he specifically mentions three weeds that really grow up in our lives. One was the worries of this world. One was the deceitfulness of riches. And the other one was the desire for other things. So last last week, we we spent some time and we looked at really the worries of this world. We looked at how that can grow up in your life and really kind of crowd God out and how to really really work and uh, how to really deal with that in such a way where you can deal with that. This week, we're going to be spending some time looking at the deceitfulness of riches. We're looking at just how, how money just really deceives us and it, how it can deceive us and how it can crowd out God and other folks out of our lives. So as we start, I want to look at the definition of deceit. So it should be up on the screen. Uh, deceit from dictionary.com is the act or practice of deceiving. That's concealment or distortion of the truth for the purpose of misleading. Now, that's not a very fun experience. I don't know. Uh, none of us like to be deceived. In fact, just think about the last time you were deceived about something and just kind of the way you felt about that and how things went. It's just, it's not something we like at all. In fact, a lot of times it runs into a place where we have some pain or some real cost associated with it when we're deceived. Several years ago, uh, actually just before Donovan was born, you know, we looked around our car and we, we took our car once, uh, for Christmas to my mom and dad's when we just had Patrick and Molly. And coming back, we had to leave stuff there because there was simply no way to get everything in the car. And so when Donovan was about ready to be born, we thought, you know what, we need bigger transportation. And so I started looking around for, uh, started looking around for uh, minivans. And, you know, our, uh, 
the minivans cost this much and our budget was this much. And so I'm trying to figure out how we're going to do that. And I saw this place, this uh, dealership up in the Silmar area, used cars, and they had this really kind of a late model Dodge caravan, and, it, and the price was lower than I expected. And I thought, that sounds too good to be true. And so I, they had the VIN number in the ad, so I, I did a, I paid the 25 bucks at the time to do Carfax so I could understand everything about the car. So I, you know, it says it's clean, you know, there's no problems. It goes through all these checks. And I thought, well, I know about this car now. So I grabbed that Carfax and I went up there and uh, took the family. And so we're up there. We're, uh, we, Kate's taking care of the kids and I'm talking to the salesman. Then we all jump in the van to take it for a test drive. We're driving it around and man, I, it drove pretty good. And I thought, this is all right. I think this might be a good deal. And then, so Kate, we go back to the waiting room. Kate's kind of taking care of the kids and just kind of managing them. And I'm talking to the salesman. We're negotiating. We arrive at a price and I'm about ready to pull the trigger on this. You know, they, as they always do, hey, go wait in the waiting room for no reason whatsoever for about an hour and then, uh, I'll come back when I want to, and then we can sell the car to you. And so I'm sitting there. We're sitting there. And then a guy that I hadn't talked to before he came up to me, and he said, um, hey, can I could I speak to you for a minute? I'm a sales manager here, and I'd like to just talk to you for a minute. I'm like, okay. And so we walk into his office. He shuts the door, and he said, hey, uh, hey I've been watching you and your family. You get, You have a really nice family. He said, you don't want to buy this van. And I said, I don't? Because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I had this thing all figured out. It looked like a great deal. And he goes, you don't want to buy this van. And I said, why wouldn't I want to buy this van? He says, well, it's been in a wreck. And I said, well, well, he's like, well, actually, I have the Carfax. I paid 25 bucks. And, you know, uh, it actually hasn't been in a wreck. It says it was in a wreck. And he goes, he taps his binder. He goes, I've got paperwork right here that says it has. And then he spun it around and I could see the I could see the description of the van and it said it, it was wrecked and it had frame damage. And so he closed the binder and he goes he says, you know what, I, I was looking at you guys and he said, you know what, you're a nice family. I just don't want you to make a mistake. And I, I looked at him and I said Well I guess two things. One is thank you for helping me uh, the second thing is, I'll see you later because we're definitely not going to buy that van. So, so we walk out the door and we, and you know, he, you know, I would hope that maybe that moment maybe put him on a different path in life. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I really appreciated that and I was completely deceived. I didn't know it though. I didn't know I was deceived. I thought I had it all figured out. But what I needed is I needed this, this gentleman. He had to step into my life. He had to tell me how I was deceived. And then I was able to not fall into some trap that was that was that uh, that was in front of me. Now we all we all really hate to be deceived, but you know to defend against being deceived, one thing you have to come to the realization is that you have to be open to the possibility that you can be deceived. You have to be open to the possibility that you can be deceived. In fact, there may be some things you're deceived about right now. That's that's something you need to be open up open to to be able to to really see if you are deceived about things. Now, I'd like us to, we're gonna I'd like us to watch a a couple of short clips uh, from a movie called Identity Thief, and uh, you know it's a movie I, I I can't recommend it I haven't seen it but I think it might be a kind of a rough a rough movie, but I've seen some clips from it. I want us to just watch a couple of these clips 
Uh, the first clip, you'll see how the main character gets deceived into giving away his identity. And then you see in the second clip where he confronts the person who did it. So let's, let's take a look at this. Hello, this is Sandy Patterson. Yes, Mr. Patterson, I'm Janine from the Fraud Protection Department of Identivolt Credit Monitoring Service. We're calling today because, unfortunately, it appears that someone has attempted to steal your identity. Are you kidding me? Gosh, I wish I were. We did catch this in time, however, but I do suggest you taking advantage of our free total protection plan, which safeguards your credit rating against theft and fraud. Yes, please, if it's free, absolutely. Just terrific. I went for this plan myself. Mr. Patterson, I'm going to need to verify some information from you. I'm going to need your full name, date of birth, and social security number, please. Sure. Understood. Here it comes. Live fast, die young, bad girls, do it well. Live fast, die young, bad girls, do it well. Sorry about that. I didn't assume you were going to come to a full stop in the middle of a highway. Oh, a mama badger and a baby crossing the road. A badger, huh? Yeah. Oh, my God. My fibromyalgia is just shooting down my spine. Jeez Louise. No, this is totally my fault. Why don't you get your license on you? Why don't we swap information and we can get the insurance companies involved? I guess that's what it comes to. I hate to tell you, but that's... It's a custom paint job. Thank you. You know, if it's okay with you, I'm okay, and I'm cool with just doing cash. Yeah, cash would be a lot easier, wouldn't it, Sandy Bigelow Patterson? Yeah. Bigelow's such a rare name. Well, it's a family name, you know. It uh, goes back to the Mayflower. Is that right? Yeah, Jeremiah Bigelow. You maybe have heard of him, pretty, pretty prominent bear hunter. Sounds brave. Kind of a big deal. Here's my license with my name right there. Sandy Bigelow Patterson. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the pull that, you know, the pull that money has in our lives is actually it's just as relentless and determined. It's just as relentless and determined, determined as she was in just deceiving. I mean, everywhere she did, every time you get around her, she's just deceiving. Um, he was after her in that second clip because she had done so many things in his name that he got arrested, and so he was looking for the person that was causing all the problems. And uh, you know, you just you just don't know you're deceived 
until sometimes you don't know you're deceived until the, the consequences start happening. And uh, sometimes it just takes someone to step in, step in and show you you're deceived, just like the, the sales manager did for me. Now, there, I want, this morning I want to look at a, a place, a story in Jesus' life where Jesus actually was speaking to someone who was deceived about money. Money became, was really kind of the big stronghold in his life. And just kind of walk through that story here this morning and see what, how Jesus really approached him on that. So uh, this, this uh, person is in Scripture. They call him the rich young ruler. But he's just a young guy that came up and was talking to Jesus. So we'll start off the story with Mark ten seventeen. It says, And he was setting out on a journey. A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the journey Jesus had set out on was his final journey into Jerusalem to really pay for our sins. This is a monumental journey that Jesus was on. And this guy, he comes running up to him, and he, he says, what must I do to have real life? He's, he's, he's asking a really good question. It's a question he really had, and he was really eager. You can see that, you can see that he was really eager about it. So then let's go on to the next, the next verse. It says, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. You know, so Jesus, he just, he, he gives him the right answer. He just do everything right in the law. And he's trying to, trying to get the guy to think. And he, the, the guy, the, uh, the rich young ruler, he says, you know what? I've done these since I was a kid. And now, what we don't see, one thing when we read this story, we can't really see what was actually happening. We just here see the words. But there was something that was happening. There was something that Jesus perceived about his earnestness or his uh, his demeanor. There was something about it that Jesus saw that he, there was a sincerity with this guy, and he began to really care about him. In fact, the very first part of the next verse, uh, Mark 10, 21a, just says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And so right at that moment, as he's talking to Jesus, Jesus' heart really stirs for him, and he really wants to help him. And, um, you know, Jesus and Jesus at that moment, he really discerned really what it was that was keeping him from really surrendering his, his life to God's ways. And then he also, what he did in his response, which we're going to read in just a second, he pinpointed really what it was that was holding him back. He pinpointed it. In fact, let's go ahead and read it. Mark ten twenty one. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. You know, one thing that Jesus saw, he saw that, the, that wealth had really deceived this gentleman and that he treasured his wealth above everything else. He treasured it above everything else. And like Jesus said in Matthew 6, uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And his heart was really deceived, and he, his, his treasure was totally in the things he owned and, and the money that he had. And what Jesus gave him, sometimes it's hard to, hard to picture what Jesus was really saying here, but he was giving him a real offer. It was, he was really trying to answer the question that he came up to ask him, how can I have real life? And Jesus gave him a real offer, a heart-level bargain, and he said, what you need to do if you really want to not have God crowded out of your life is you need to sell your stuff, give to the poor, 
And then you'll break your heart free from the deception of the money that you have. And then uh, your treasure will really be in heaven. And where that's where God is. And then you come accompany me. Really do life with me and be my disciple and really learn how to really live your life. And it was a real offer that Jesus was offering him. And then uh, go to the next go to the next verse and you see his response. His response to this opportunity that Jesus gave him is the very reason he ran up. He, he said, well, how can I have life? In Mark 22, when Jesus said this, he said, at these words he was saddened. And he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. He just couldn't hear that what Jesus was offering was vastly superior to what he treasured. And he couldn't hear Jesus because his heart was just deceived about really what it was that was really going to be helpful for him in his life. And so he looked at God, he looked at money, and he decided, I'm going to go with the things I have. That's really where I think life's going to come together for me. And there's a, there's a truth that comes out of this, and that is that you really can't hear God very well uh, if you treasure something else more than him. It's really hard to hear God very well if you treasure something else more than him. So this morning what I, what I want to do is look at three ways, three of the ways that money can really deceive us and then three ways we can really guard against it. So three ways we can be deceived by money and three ways we can really guard against it. The first way that money can really deceive us that I want to bring out today is found in Ecclesiastes 5.10. It just says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income for this also is vanity. And so, you know, he's saying, you know, if you love money, you'll never be satisfied with it. In fact, and if you love wealth, your income will never be enough. It's just, you just have, we just all, we just have this insatiable appetite. If we begin to love money, we think money's going to do it. Then we just want to have more and more money. And you never be, you never really feel as rich as you really are. You never really feel like, uh, you're really rich. I remember years ago, there, uh, there was a man, gentleman named Ted Turner who started the TBS uh, uh, channel on cable. And he was like, he was like a billionaire and he had some major financial downturns and he lost a lot of money. It's only worth several hundred million. And, and I mean, and you're listening to this, you're going, well, that must be hard, but, (laughs) and you, I'm trying to whip up some compassion here, but, but then he, he saw him on a, a news program and he, he was, and he was just devastated. He goes, my life's over. I'm, I'm over. And that's, that, that's not a direct quote, but that was what he was saying. I, I remember just being really struck by that. For him, his life was over. But there's something about when you love money, it's just never enough. And it, what it does is the pursuit of getting more and more money, it crowds God out and crowds other people out because there's no time really for anything else. And uh, it's interesting. I was looking at this website called Global Rich, the Global Rich List uh, on the Internet. And what they do is they track the, the wage earners across the whole world. And what really shocked me was if you make $32,400 a year, you're in the top 1% of income earners in the world. I thought, wow. If you make $32,400 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. I, most most Americans, most of us, we just don't really see just how rich we are. We just don't really see that we we really have a lot of resources. 
with which to, to operate. And that's just one way, that's one way that money really deceives us, is we just can't see that. Another way money really deceives us is, it's kind of seen, it's, you really see it in this interchange that Jesus has. He's out, he's out uh, teaching one day, and this guy just kind of yells out of the crowd, and he yells this. It's in Luke chapter 12. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I'm like, you know, I just, I just think that's really, uh, you know, just walking by and he goes, hey, solve my problems. And it's like a demand. You're like, and Jesus just said, uh, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And then he said to them, he talked to the crowd and he goes, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And I think that's, that's another way that money just really, uh, it, it can really deceive us is it help, is to make us think that our life really does consist of our possessions. It really does consist of the things we own and the things we have in our bank account. Um, and what that does is it really leads to greed and it leads to just uh, a desire to kind of hoard what you have because um, it really is your life, your life's really tied up in it and that all that money and the stuff you have is just for, just for me or just for us. My family is just for us. And it, what it does is that crowds, that mindset really crowds God out and it crowds other people out of your life. And then another way that money really deceives us is we just, it, it, it kind of blinds us from seeing the consequences of the path of loving money, like where it all ends up. Um, and the love of money really is a path. It's a path that really leads somewhere, has a destination. And Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he, he captures really what that path that how dangerous that path really is. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound very good. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's a it's a hard road. When you, when you fully give in to just the love of money and pursue it, your, your whole life, what it does is there's temptations that come along that, uh, that can really take you out of the game. There's traps that, that you can step into. Uh, there's, um, just harm, you can really open you up to harmful desires that you're now able to fund. Um, in fact, if you ever want to, really interesting to do is just Google lottery winners and how their lives turned out. Google that and you'll find that Person after person after person that wins the lottery, they have these horrible things that begin happening in their lives, and I think it's just, I think it just opens us up to a lot of problems when we have a lot of money. I wouldn't know personally, but I think it does. Um, I think I won five bucks once when I was a kid. But, um, <laughs> but guys, you know, uh, so th- you know that's a dangerous path. It's like th- it's deceitful, and there's a lot of pain that could happen on that path. So, what can we do to guard against that? What can we do to guard against that so that we open up our lives to be able to hear God and to really walk with Him? There's three things I want to just kind of pull out this morning, and they're from, they're from, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 as well, where Paul's talking about these things. Is the first thing is, is just to choose contentment. To choose contentment. You know, uh, and contentment just means deciding how much is enough. It's just deciding how much is enough. Um, but how does contentment bring gain? He says, 
Uh, in fact, let's go ahead. Let's look at First Timothy chapter six, verse six. It says, "But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment." And when I first read that, I, I remember just thinking, "Well, how does contentment bring gain? Like, what's the connection?" But I'll ask this: Have you ever made a large purchase that you regretted? I know I have. In fact, uh, I could probably, if you give me a pencil and piece of paper, I could probably go for a while. Um, I've driven some of those regrets. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, but you know, if you make a large purchase or you waste some money, there's just there's a lot of regret that comes from that. Now, if you could go back to that moment before you did that and choose contentment instead and just live with what you had instead of making that purchase then I think with that kind of hindsight, you'd really see. You'd really be able to see what the gain is and what the value of contentment is because the money that you spent, you'd still have. And so when you when you draw that contentment line, what it does is it frees up money. It frees up resources that you now can decide what else to do with it. Uh, so con- what contentment does is it, one thing it does is it just allows us to have the surplus that we can be generous with. Then... Uh, Another thing that I want to bring out today, like how can you, what we can really guard against the deceitfulness of wealth is just found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, just a little further down. And that is just to fix your hope on God. Fix your hope on God. And so what Paul says, he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He's saying, you know, don't arrogantly put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. You know, riches, you know, money is just so uncertain. There's so many things that go on. This last week in the news, there's been a lot of talk about a recession and just a lot of concerns and worries that people have just because uh, if a recession comes, as we saw in 2008, it can be a real hard thing, a real devastating thing. So a lot of worry about that. So we really want to put our our hope in God himself because God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And that's exactly what money always does is he leaves us. They leave us and it leaves us and it forsakes us. Now, several years ago, again, you know, I, I had a computer that I bought right when I got out of college uh, when I started making money. And I was one of those regrets <laughs> that I that I had. But I spent I, I built had it personally built for me. It was like second fastest chip on the market. You know, I had this computer, and then after about four years, it was antiquated. And so I, I actually learned how to update it, how to uh, uh, upgrade it, and I bought a bunch of components, and I messed up a few times, and finally I got a computer that worked. And I used that for several years, and there was a time when I just thought, you know, I we've got to have a new computer. I was telling Kate, we got to have another computer. This thing is just, it's working, but, man, I have so many problems. And the problem was we just didn't have any money for it. And so, I, you know, I'm looking at the at the ads that come in the Sunday paper, and I look at Best Buy, and Best Buy, two years, no interest. And I thought, hey, I have two years, and uh, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I started thinking, you know, I could have this now. We really it would help so much. And I told Kate, and she's like, nah, I don't think, I just, I don't know, I don't know. And so, for about a week and a half, Kate and I had conversations about it, and. And finally, I got to a place where she, she was convinced. She goes, you know, Jeep, if you think it's a good idea, then uh, why don't you go get it? And I'm like, yes, I won the argument. We're going we're gonna to go do this. Um, and uh, 
And I remember that morning, I, that, I was going to well, okay, you know what, today, tonight I'm going to go by Best Buy. And that morning I, I sat down, I was just having my time with God, and uh, just a thought came to my mind. And it was, you know, I haven't asked God if I ought to do this yet. I haven't asked God if I should buy a computer. And then I, I struggled with that. And then I thought, I'm reading, I'm reading in Habakkuk. And I don't know what God could tell me out of Habakkuk about buying a computer. <laughs> and so I, mean, so I was just rationalizing this. And then finally I just said, you know, God, um, I said it out loud, which I don't normally do. And it felt a little strange to me. And I just said, God, should I buy a computer? I don't know what I was expecting, but I'm like, Okay, I'm going to read now. And so I, I began to read and take in the scripture, and I happened to be reading Habakkuk chapter 2. And Habakkuk chapter 2, I came to about verse 6, and it says something like this. Woe to him who makes himself rich with loans. You have my attention? Um, <laughs> woe to him who makes himself rich with loans. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, and you'll become prey for them? I'm like, Whoa. I remember just setting the Bible down and going, God thinks this is a bad idea. But I want a computer pretty bad. (laughs) And Kate's convinced. And I struggled for a minute and I thought, you know, if I, if I don't say anything, I could just go buy the computer because no one will know but me and God. And I thought, you know what? Boy, that, that's the life I want. I don't, and so I, and so I just said, you know, God, um, I asked, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what you said. And I got up and said, Hey, Kate, uh, hey, I want to talk to you. We're not, we're not gonna buy a computer. And she said, We're not. She was totally confused, like I'd been arguing for a week and a half. Um, we're not. And I said, No, you know, I, uh, and I told her the story. You know, I, I asked God, and that's what He said. And she, she just said, Okay, all right. Well, that makes sense to me. And then I. Uh, we just lived with that computer for several more months. And then one day my dad gives me a call, and he, he had a construction company. He goes, hey, I want you to uh, do some research and find your mom a computer. I don't know anything about those things, but I want a computer that's going to last for a while, find a good one, and I need it for the business. I'm like, okay. And so I did a bunch of research, and I found this I found this computer that, you know, the, the chip and the amount of memory, it would probably last them a long time. And it was, it was, uh, it was expensive, uh, like, Way more than something I would think about for myself, but it was something that they could build for their business. And anyway, I, I called up my dad and I said, "Okay, Dad, hey, I got it. And uh, when do you want me to get it?" And he goes, "Well, I want you to go get, go ahead and go get it uh, as soon as you can this week." And he said, "And uh, buy yourself one too." I said, "Oh, the same one." I went, "Dad, Dad, no, 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 Pop, I, I'm not gonna. You don't need to buy me a computer, Dad." And he goes, "No, I want you to." He says, "You know, your mom's gonna have problems with this." And if you have the exact same computer, then you'll, you'll be able to help her with that. And I'm like, well, that's, that's true. That's true. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, they lived up to that bargain. But, uh, my mom's pretty good at figuring stuff out, but she has questions once in a while. And I could say, what were you clicking? Click. And I'd be clicking and I could actually see what it is she was doing. And so if he, he swayed me and I thought, okay. And I remember going down there, coming home, and I had this nice computer that didn't cost me anything. And see, God God was taking care of us, and I just didn't know it. And because I wanted to jump in, I, I could have just prevented what God had planned to really take care of us. And so just you know, fixing your hope on God and being content, he really does take care of you over time.
Now, I have a lot of other stories that aren't quite as helpful. Um, I just want you to know this is something that I work on all the time. And I'm, I still, I can really be deceived and I can make bad decisions. But that's one where it just sticks in my mind where God really showed me that he could take care of us. And then uh, the third thing, like to to really guard against the deceitfulness of riches, the third thing is just to pursue a life of generosity. You can uh, You can really see how these things are tied together. Choosing contentment kind of frees up the amount of money you can be generous with. Fixing your hope on God takes your hands off of it. And then it allows you the opportunity to be generous with the money you have. And so to pursue generosity, in uh, First Timothy, very next verses, Paul says this in First Timothy six eighteen through 19. Also talking to the rich people, he said, Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. That sounds like what the rich young ruler was looking for. You know, uh, there's something about when you choose contentment and you put your hope in God, it, you really can use your money and your time for what God's really trying to do in the world. It really lines you up to be able to actually participate with God in what he's doing. And then, you know, but when you're discontent and you're looking to money to really be... Um, your hope, to really have your hope in the money you have, then you tend to not have time to do good because you're trying to make more money. And you, you don't want to share because your hope is really tied up in that money in your life. It feels like your life is really consisting of the things you have. And so you just, it keeps a tight grip on the things you have. But when you have contentment and trusting God really has the opposite effect. So generosity is really the antidote for the love of money. Generosity is really the antidote for the love of money. And it really is the way, it's the key way to avoid the danger of being deceived by wealth is being generous. Um, and generosity, it's not, it's not just something you do when you, when you have more in the future. It's something that you do now. And you build the habits of being generous so that when you do have more in the future, you really know how to handle that. You really know how to work with that. Now, you know, you look at, you look at that picture that Paul painted. He said, then you'll store up a treasure of a good foundation for the future. There's that word treasure again. And then that we may take hold of that which is life indeed. That's a whole different path than the love of money. And what Paul said a few verses earlier about just all the traps and the harmful desires and this, and the really the, the temptations that can just take us out of the game. So generosity is really where we want to, we really want to head and really fixing our hope on God and being content with what we have. Now, the rich young ruler, he didn't realize it, but that was the choice that he had. Right in front of him, that was the choice that he had. And I really I really hope, we don't hear about him anymore. I really hope that later on he actually began to really follow God. I, I, I just uh, really hope that he actually began to really walk with God himself. But he was he was deceived, and his heart just couldn't hear the offer that Jesus was making. And so really to open our ears to be able to hear God, we really need to really need to watch against being deceived by money. And then, you know, I just want to say that may many, may each of us really break free of this deception more and more in our own lives. And to just take Jesus up on his offer ourselves and follow him. So with that, I want to just talk about some, just some next steps that maybe uh, you could take this morning. Uh, maybe for you, the next step would just be to choose contentment and really tr- practice in an area of your life, practice drawing that line 
So it frees up some money and time that you have. Uh, and maybe, maybe for you this morning, it's just learning to fix your hope on, on God. It's getting to know Him personally and, and actually leaving some things with Him and then seeing how He really takes care of them. Maybe that's a next step for you. And then maybe a next step would just be to pursue a lifestyle of generosity. Look for some ways that you can be generous with the things you have. And so with that, I'd like to just, uh, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. And, uh, if you didn't finish filling out your connection card, now's a great time to do it and you can drop it in the offering bucket when it comes by. And I'm going to pray for us and we'll get back, uh, we'll back, back back to the service. Father, God, we're just uh, very grateful to you that, uh, you care about us, that when you look at us, you have a love for us and you really want to help us. And Father, I pray that you'd really open our ears and help us to walk away from the deceitfulness of money so that we can hear you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.